This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. You want to live in the hospital for five weeks this time? You thought I was tough? This jump will kill you. All right. Come on, come on. Get your head on your shoulders, man. Think about the fight. Think about the fight. Clover Lang's in here. He's trying to hurt you, Rock. He's trying to hurt you. Okay, here he comes. Jeff, he's jabbing. He's jabbing. He's trying to hurt you. You got to fight him. You got to move. Rest in peace, Carl Weathers. An anthology about the bad, the short-lived, and the forgotten shows and events in television history. This is It Was a Thing on TV. I give you Super Train. Episode 451, submission number 2186, Where's Huddles? Where's Huddles aired on CBS from July 1st of 1970 to September 2nd of 1970 for 10 episodes, six less than in your regular crock block. We know what that is. Number of episodes of Hudson Brothers Razzle show and nothing else. Also... Six less than your usual Hanna-Barbera production. Because Where's Huddles is a Hanna-Barbera production. Are you trying to override me? I said the only show that has ever had 16 episodes, as far as I can tell, is the Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle show. Just like, as we all know, first time Greg ever mentioned he loved Wings was 151 episodes ago, episode 300. Never before. My bad. You're forgiven. There is a family down the street. The Huddles. The McCoys live right next door. Yes, I know. The girls are all right, Marge and Penny. But the fellas, they play football, you know. Savages. That's what they are. We have coming up this Sunday a big game. We have a big game happening between the Kansas City Chiefs of the AFC and in the NFC we have the San Francisco 49ers. As we do 
around this time every year, we talk about football stuff. About a year or so ago, I discovered this show existed. And once I saw there was actually a cartoon about football, boom, instant slot in the Super Bowl week show. I'm sorry, the big game week. Oh, whatever. Hey, I'm not getting sued. I'm sure Roger Goodell has better ways of wasting his time than with this petty little podcast. And by the way, Mike, we have three episodes on the show page at itwasthinkonTV.com that have Super Bowl in them. And we haven't gotten them taken down. So I wouldn't be worried about that. Okay, you two get sued. I'm trying to stay as clear away from the big mean NFL as possible. So yeah, again, welcome to the big game week. Super Bowl week. To him. Super week. Sue half of him. What if we put superb owl? Yeah, we can get away with that. World Wildlife Fund, Sue Greg, okay? The World Wildlife Fund. Are you just mad that they took the WWF license away from the wrestling? Yes. Yeah, those pandas. But seriously, people, save the pandas. No, actually, after PETA saying they want to replace Punxsutawney Phil with a coin, they can go pound sand, too. That's another organization that we will not speak of. So anyhow, screw the pandas, screw the owls, screw whatever wildlife you want to screw, screw Punxsutawney Phil. We're here to talk about football. And Hanna-Barbera... They created this show. It's very similar to a couple of other shows Hanna-Barbera did with much greater success. Specifically talking about the Flintstones and the Jetsons. But now, instead of doing the prehistoric theme and the set in the future theme, now we're doing the football theme. The huddles themselves, they really do live a football life. Well, maybe not both huddles, but at least the husband in the family lives the football life. You see in the opening sequence and uh, throughout the cartoon, their house is shaped like a stadium. It's actually like a Rose Bowl type of stadium. And their front yard actually has yard markers. I don't think it's necessarily 100 yards, but they do have like yard markers saying like the 50 and then the 230 lines and the 210 lines. So he is really a big football. I don't want to say freak, but I'm going to say freak. And they have neighbors seemingly like the Flintstones who had the Rebels. And I'm sure the Jetsons had neighbors in their Sky Tower or whatever you want to call it. But there's another neighbor that plays a role in this who tries to ruin all the attempts of the Huddles and... Their other neighbors having fun, let's say, just enjoying life. We'll get a little bit deeper into that when we get to the episodes. In this series, there's a lot of known names, especially if you're a cartoon fan. The main character, his name is Ed Huddles, and he is actually a quarterback for this football team, the Rhinos. 
and he's played by Cliff Norton. And Cliff Norton, we have talked about quite a bit in the past. We talked about him on Love, Sydney. We talked about him on Kolchak the Night Stalker. We talked about him on The Ropers. So I believe this is the fourth series, if not even more, possibly five series, that we've talked about Cliff Norton. His wife, Marge Huddles, is voiced by Jean Vanderpill. You'd know her primarily from one role. She played a wife on another cartoon series. Specifically, she played Wilma Flintstone. But she did so many other cartoons than that. But that's where you'd know her best. And she actually voiced Rosie the uh, Robot. So she's got a Jetsons connection. Playing one of the neighbors, the one that's on the football team with Ed Huddles, a character called Bubba McCoy, who plays the center on the football team, voiced by the one and only Mel Blank. And really, if you want to go through Mel Blank's resume, we'd be here sometime. Y'all know what he's famous for. Specifically, that one appearance on That's My Line we talked about two months ago. More than that, but you get the point. Playing Bubba's wife, Penny McCoy, is Marie Wilson. She actually was played by Nancy Culp for one episode. The pilot. We're going to get to that a little bit later. And Marie Wilson, she's done a little bit of everything. She's old Hollywood. Uh, Unfortunately, she passed back in 1972, so a little bit over two years after she did Where's Huddles. But she was in all sorts of stuff. Last role was on an episode of Love American Style, old school, the original one. But she did plenty of movies, TV series. Again, a long resume going back to the golden age, if you will. Going all the way back to 1933. So we're talking 91 years ago at this point. Playing the other neighbor, the one who wants to make Ed Huddle's and Bubba McCoy's lives so difficult. Character named Claude Pertwee, voiced by the one and only Paul Lind. And seriously, guys, if he's not already in the Hall of Fame, I think we need to punch him in this coming March or whenever the next time we induct is. I think we should make him a headliner. He's got to be. Agreed. Absolutely. So I guess we're going to have Paul Lind in the Hall of Fame coming up in a couple of months. Wait, we also have Cliff Norton as a headliner for this year. So we have two headlining Hall of Famers this year on the show. Playing Freight Train, who's a guessing running back from what I've seen. He played on offense, definitely wasn't a tackle, definitely was not on the offensive line. May have been a tight end, I I really don't know. But physically, in terms of size, he couldn't have been a running back. Maybe could have been a wide receiver. Possibly a tight end, but built like a friggin' brick wall. Voiced by Herb Jeffries. Herb Jeffries, he appears to have been in plenty of westerns back in the day. Taking a look at his IMDb, he was uh, in a movie called The Cherokee Kid. That was actually his last role in 1966. He was in The Virginian. 
He was in Harlem Rides the Range, The Bronze Buckaroo, Rhythm Rodeo, Two Gun Man from Harlem, Harlem on the Prairie. So it seems like he is sort of that African-American in that Western. Best way I can phrase it. Playing a sports announcer. There's no name. He's just credited as sports announcer. This is a good sports announcer. This is a good guy to get for this role. The legendary Dick Enberg. I don't think we've talked about him yet. We're definitely not going to cover Sports Challenge. Three for the money, maybe one day. Maybe it takes two, the original version. But yeah, Dick Enberg, what can we say? He did announcing seemingly forever, doing NFL announcing, doing Padres games. He did it all. I should note, we did mention Dick in the Minnesota about Leon Let's Thanksgiving fumble. Yeah, you're right. I forgot about that. And we've mentioned Merlin Olson plenty of times. Oh, we've mentioned Merlin Olson more than enough. And of course, one day we're going to do Father Murphy, so we'll talk about him even more in a starring role. Damn right. Playing Fumbles. Fumbles is <laughs> what? Fumble. Fumbles. So every time he carries the ball, he fumbles the ball, I'm guessing. Well, there's only one problem with that, Greg. What? Fumbles is a dog. Oh. That just means he needs more practice. So Fumbles the Dog is voiced by the legendary Don Messick. And again, if we were to talk about his entire resume, we'd be here for quite some time. He's done, like, everything. And really, and I don't want to, like, pinpoint him to uh, a certain type of role, but he is that voice actor who voices that animal. Really the best way of saying it, if you think about it. There is one animal that he is famous for, though. <gasps> <laughs> I actually was thinking you were going to say Astro. Bravo. Bravo. Yeah, Astro. And yeah, Scooby-Doo is definitely the uh, big one. He was it, the voice of Scooby-Doo before Frank Walker was the voice of Scooby-Doo. And also Boo-Boo, Droopy. Again, he's that animal character's voice, albeit, you know, some of them are uh, have human qualities, speak like a actually human. But, yeah, when you're talking about Astro and, uh, and Scooby-Doo, yeah, they don't have really necessarily human voices like a Hampton J. Pig. Underrated character from Tiny Toon Adventures, just saying. Playing Mad Dog Mahoney who is the coach minus in the pilot. He had another person that we'll talk about in the pilot a little bit later, but Mad Dog Mahoney, the coach in this series, voiced by Alan Reed. And again, you know him from one role. I can't do it. But yeah, Fred Flintstone. And the thing is, if you were not to watch the video of Where's Huddle's Really, 
you think to a point that you're watching the Flintstones because you're listening to the voice of Barney Rebel, you're listening to the voice of Wilma Flintstone, and you're listening to the voice of Fred Flintstone. And like Chico said, there is a pilot episode of sorts. It's more of like an animatic. It's one of those sort of like really crude drawings, animations in kind of a pilot form. He did mention that Penny McCoy was played by Nancy Culp. The coach in that pilot, if you will, was played by Joe Besser. And Joe Besser is another one of those people who did plenty of voices back, especially like in the 70s. Babu, if you remember Babu on Genie, but also uh, on the Laugh Olympics. That's just about all the voices in this series. Some of the voices do play multiple characters. We'll get to them as we go through the uh, episodes. We'll start with the pilot that I mentioned. If you go on YouTube and search for Where's Huddles, this is on there. It's like a 21, 22, 23, 24 minute film of like the storyboard sketches so it's not true animation per se, but this is what was presented to CBS as a pilot for the series. And we mentioned already Nancy Culp was Penny McCoy. Joe Besser uh, was the coach. And this actually aired, apparently, because it says it aired on July 15th, 1970, as The Ramblin' Wreck, which I believe is episode three. So maybe there is a more polished version. We did have a big name as a voice of a teammate on the Rhinos. And as a paramedic, Alan Melvin. We've talked about him in the past because he played Barney on All in the Family. 25 episodes. And also on Archie Bunker's Place, 95 episodes. So if you're familiar with the All in the Family universe... You definitely know who he is. Also voiced, among other things, Magilla Gorilla, Bluto in the 1987 series Popeye and Son, Bandit Bear in Yogi's Great Escape. Many voices. Now we're going to get to the actual episodes, the, the non-pilot episodes, if you will. Episode one is entitled The Old Swimming Hole. Ed and Bubba are determined to install a swimming pool in the Huddle's backyard, despite a legal fight by Pertwee to stop them. They somehow succeeded with Freight Train's help, but sharing the pool put a strain on Ed and Bubba's friendship, which spills onto the football field and threatens the Rhinos' chances at winning Sunday's game. It all started with Bubba. He got a check, and he said, Oh, I got a check for five figures. And the first thing they decided to do was go halvesies each on a swimming pool. Not a bad idea, but the problem is the five figures on the check was the hundreds place, the tens place, the ones place, decimal, and then the two cent places. So the check only ended up being like $120. That doesn't cover the cost of an in-ground pool. Not even in 1970. But then, as I said, Pertwee wanted to try and nix the whole thing. He did not like the idea of Ed and Bubba 
just building the pool in the backyard. A lot of noise, a lot of commotion, a lot of vehicles going in there, you know, excavators digging up the soil and whatnot. And he was not having any of it. So he constantly tried foiling construction of this pool. Ultimately, in the end, when Ed and Bubba realized this was damaging their friendship and their work relationship, they had no chemistry on the football field. They agreed, you know what, let's let bygones be bygones. And they sold the pool actually to Pertwee. They were just trying to recoup their money. I think it was like $300. Pertwee said, I'm not going to offer you a penny more. Here's $300. They took it. So they're now clear. And Pertwee enjoyed the pool by himself. But there's one problem that was mentioned before the agreement with Pertwee. They didn't put in any supporting steel rods in the pool. So when Pertwee went in for the first dive, he's lying on his lounger or whatnot. The entire pool collapses in. Ed and Bubba have a good laugh at Pertwee's expense. And also probably at the same time, Pertwee's cat, named Beverly, probably had a laugh as well. I believe Beverly, the cat, was actually voiced by Don Messick as well. So, again, another animal on his resume that he gave a voice to, if you will. Playing the pool salesman who actually sold this pool to... Ed and Bubba is John Stevenson. If you're familiar with cartoons, he is not an unfamiliar name. Among voices that John Stevenson voiced in terms of cartoons, he was fancy on Top Cat, one of my favorite cartoon series of all time. He also voiced Dr. Benton Quest on the original Johnny Quest. He voiced Mr. Slate on the Flintstones, the original Flintstones, but also some of the movies and stuff after the original series aired. So you had Mr. Slate, you have Fancy from Top Cat. He's giving a voice to this pool salesman. So needless to say, another big name in the voice acting industry, even if he's not at the same level as Don Messick and Mel Blaine. Episode two. A weighty problem. Bubba's overweight problem threatens to have him and Ed traded to a team in Alaska, so he goes on a crash diet program concocted by Ed. But neighbor Pertwee is ecstatic that the next-door savages may have to move and schemes to sabotage every diet effort by the Huddles and McCoys. Oh yeah, in case I didn't mention it, that's the name that Pertwee gives both Ed and Bubba. They're savages because they play football. He's apparently more dignified than to watch or he wouldn't have played football. He's a scrawny little thing, but he apparently is too dignified to watch football or he gives no respect to football players. So he always calls them savages. You heard that in the open when he said savages at the end. That's his sort of keyword to saying I'm talking with the football players, those neighbors. So, yeah, in this episode, Pertwee tries sabotaging Bubba's progress to lose weight by showing slides of photos when Bubba's trying to fall asleep at night, just showing them by a slide projector on his wall, 
by tempting him with food. At one point, he was tempted with a turkey. Just, again, anything to ruin this diet plan because Pertwee wants Bubba and Ed to be traded to Alaska because that gets rid of the savages, if you will. Well, in the end, somebody has a bright idea when it comes to weigh-in time. I don't think it was necessarily Bubba. It might have been Ed. But what they did was they took a helium tank from a balloon vendor and they stuck the business end of the tank, if you will, down Bubba's pants and inflated his pants with helium to the point where he actually weighed like 96 pounds. And so when he goes on the scale for weigh-in, he keeps going up because of the helium and you see freight train and you see Ed hold him down. So there's some weight on the scale because there's no way he could have weighed 96 pounds. So the coach says, we'll do weigh in after the game. They sucked all game, but in the end, thanks to Bubba and actually thanks to Pertwee more than Bubba, they win the game. So again, Bubba has helium in his pants and Pertwee's like all mad and he's going to deflate Bubba's pants. But unfortunately, when he does that, the helium comes out the backside where this dart entered his pants and pushes Bubba all the way to the goal line, scoring the winning touchdown for the Rhinos. And Pertwee is mad. And really, the coach is like, you know what? We won the game. I don't care if you didn't reach your weight, at least this week. So thank you, Pertwee, for screwing up that plan. Episode three is the Ramblin' Wreck. Again, this is like the finished product of what sold the series to CBS, that sort of storybook sketch, whatever you would like to call it, that film. This is the finalized product. Pertwee's new acquisition and love is an antique European roadster. After he leaves on a business trip, it doesn't take long before Bubba and Ed accidentally turn it into a pile of parts. When Pertwee returns early, the boys enlist the help of Freight Train and the other Rhino players to rebuild the car and buy time by letting Pertwee think it has been stolen. Episode 4. The Offensives. Inspired by a rival pro football player who's made a second career as a pop singer, Ed, Bubba, and Freight Train create their own trio, The Offensives. With Pertwee as their agent at a 50% fee, the boys are booked into the hottest nightclub in town. Unfortunately, Coach Mad Dog has instituted a no-moonlighting policy for his players, suspending any violators from the team. It gets really interesting in the end. The offensives were playing a show at a nightclub, and Coach Mad Dog and his wife went to go see it. And as Coach Mad Dog was going backstage for whatever reason, the offensives, all three of the football players were leaving and Mad Dog sort of ran into the backstage area and realized, oh, there's uh, Ed and Bubba and Freight Train. You're going to get suspended for six weeks because of the curfew. And the agent, who is, I believe, a relative of Pertwee because his name is actually Pertwee in this episode, talking about Uncle Pertwee Famous. So Uncle Pertwee Famous hears 
this whole thing going on where Coach Mad Dog is saying, six weeks, six weeks, six weeks. And meanwhile, the three of them, talking about Ed, Bubba, and Freight Train, are singing. And this agent, Uncle Pertwee, he's like, I'm making you guys stars. This is some of the best music I've ever heard, best singing. You guys all work together so well. So that's how the episode ended. The four of them actually had a musical act going on. I got a question. Is anybody in Pertwee's family related to John Pertwee by chance? Why did I know you were going to say that? I really knew when I saw this and I saw the main character's last name is Pertwee, I knew you were going to say, is there any relationship to John Pertwee? And the answer to that is obviously not. Damn it, I wanted to see a scene with the third Doctor and Paul Lynn. That would be funny. Also, taking a look at Doctor Who for a second, John Pertwee would have started in 1970. Would he have started before July of 1970? Uh, yeah, season seven of Doctor Who, his first season started on January 3rd, 1970. Maybe there's a little crossover time there. But yeah, I'm dead serious. When I watch this, I'm like, okay, Greg's going to ask a question about John Pertwee. Again, maybe I know you too well, but I knew it was coming. Episode five, Hot Dog Hannah. Hot Dog Hannah, an elderly snack vendor at the football stadium, is actually rich from investing in real estate and hides her huge fortune in her mattress. But since she lives in a shack at the city dump, everyone, including Ed and Bubba, thinks she's destitute. With good intentions, they fix up her shack and replace her mattress. Learning their mistake, the boys begin a scavenger hunt to find Hannah's fortune before she sues them. So yeah, she puts money in the mattress and they go to the dump looking for this mattress they tossed out. The person who runs the dump says, oh, I sold three mattresses today. I sold one to the circus, I sold one to the zoo, and I sold one to the prison. So they go to the circus to find the mattress. That mattress didn't have the money. They went to the zoo. I think it was like in a gorilla cage. Gorilla. So they went to the gorilla cage and got the mattress somehow from the gorilla, looked in it, no, no money there. So obviously it had to be in the prison. So they go to the prison somehow and get the mattress from inside the prison walls, run off with the mattress, run through. They're actually playing a football game, believe it or not, in the prison. And using the goalpost, the stanchion, they both pole vaulted out of the prison with the mattress. Oh, and I should also say this entire time, Pertwee's following them because he got word that money was in the mattress and he wants money. Did you say that they were playing a football game in a prison? Yeah. Four years before the longest yard. So, as I said, they take the goalpost, they rip out the goalpost and somehow do like a pole vault over the prison wall with... Bubba and Ed each holding on to one side of the goalpost and they launch over with the mattress. And the weird thing is after they launch over the wall, 
a single dollar bill fell out of the mattress. This actually is kind of sort of key in the end. So they bring the mattress back to Hot Dog Hannah, and she lies on it, and she's like, oh, yeah, this is my mattress, getting all comfortable, relaxing, and then says, something feels different here. It's missing a dollar. <laughs> she can feel a single dollar missing from her mattress. That's some princess and the pea mess right there. That's really like princess and the pea type of stuff going on. And Hot Dog Hannah in this episode was voiced by Gene Vanderpill. So again, one person doing more than one role in any given episode. Episode six, To Catch a Thief. Marge has scrimped and saved $100 to surprise Ed with a sports jacket he wants. Ed accidentally finds the money, assumes she's been holding out on the family finances, and in a huff, he takes the money and splurges on himself. Marge thinks the money has been stolen and calls the police. Now that Ed knows the truth, he has to find a way to replace the money and keep Marge from knowing how he doubted her and before amateur investigator Pertwee figures it out. Again, Pertwee's putting his nose in business that his nose shouldn't be in. Again, John Stevenson appears in this series, in this episode, this time voicing a character called Slippery Charlie, and he is uncredited in this role. Episode 7, Get That Letter Back. Ed and Bubba invest the family's savings into a car wash and are so sure of financial success, they send an angry letter to Coach Mad Dog and resign from the Rhinos. They learn that a new highway project will reroute all traffic from their business, and now the Mad rushes on to retrieve their letter from the post office before Coach receives it. Hilarity has to ensue. Trying to get that letter back. Episode 8. The Odd Trio. A storm damages the neighborhood, and while Pertwee fights with his insurance company, Ed and Bubba set out to repair their own houses. Ed's ladder falls on Claude, and rather than continue dealing with his insurance man, he exaggerates his injuries and threatens a lawsuit, turning Ed and Bubba into his personal repairmen and servants. Because of Pertwee, the boys may have to miss Sunday's big game. Oh, and speaking of games i should note that every episode the last i'd say between like four minutes and eight minutes of each episode does actually have the rhinos playing a game so yeah they're sort of trying to inject football content into what would probably be again a flintstones ish jetsons ish type of series but now, hey, there's football games happening. They're going to work. They're doing their occupation. But they have relatively normal lives off the football field. So that's where Dick Enberg comes into play. He's the announcer, the in-house announcer for all the games. And that's, again, like the last five, seven, eight minutes of each episode has something to do with the football game. It doesn't necessarily mean each episode ends at the football game. It just means that there's football somehow intertwined into the last uh, section of the episodes. Episode 9, Sticky Affair. Rhino quarterback Ed has fallen into a fumbling slump, so Bubba cooks up an idea to put glue on his hands before the game. Not just any glue, but Bubba's homemade concoction. 
His invention turns into a super glue, and with Pertwee's help, they're in a get-rich-quick scheme to put it on the market. Bubba can't remember the recipe, and when the boys look for their last remaining batch to be analyzed, they discover it's been picked up in the trash. I've seen so many sitcoms that end with a super glue premise. Not just end with a super glue premise, but also there's been episodes where it revolves around a super glue. Specifically, I'm thinking early Family Guy episode where Brian and Stewie get their hands stuck together. I'm thinking of a Family Matters episode where Urkel accidentally sticks his hand on Laura's shoulder. That too. I actually remember that now that you say that. And John Stevenson's in this episode again, but this time he's a trash man. And also again, he's uncredited. And the last episode is entitled One Man's Family. As a favor, Ed goes to Bubba's doctor to pick up his buddy's test results. Overhearing the doctor, Ed thinks that Bubba is pregnant. (laughs) What? Let me say it again. Overhearing the doctor, Ed thinks that Bubba is pregnant. I mean, he did have that extra weight we talked about in episode two. Pampering his best friend, Huddles soon has the entire Rhino team coddling Bubba, even during Sunday's game. So yeah, Ed thinks that Bubba is pregnant, and hilarity ensues. Ed does know, to be fair, that Bubba McCoy does not have the proper equipment for that task, right? I would hope. Maybe Ed didn't take basic health in high school or college. Maybe there's some sort of divine intervention. Who knows? Maybe it's the plot to Junior before Junior. Hey, you know, science has come a long way. Maybe it's possible in 1970 it could have happened. And that is the series. Ten episodes over a couple of months in 1970. Obviously the ratings weren't good enough to justify another series. This was meant to be a summer replacement series, or not really a summer replacement, more like the shows on the summer, they took time off, and this aired in their place. And specifically, it took the place of Hee Haw, because remember, Hee Haw was a CBS series to start before it ended up in syndication for all those years. But also, it sort of took the place of the Glen Campbell Good Time Out. It did return in fall of 1970 and ran it for a couple of years. And Hee Haw, I think it had another year in it on CBS, and then it went to syndication, and it ran darn close to 1990 in syndication. I think it ended in 89. Let's talk about the schedule. It's a bit of a different schedule because, again, we're talking 1970. So prime time started at 7.30 back in 1970. CBS aired Where's Huddles? NBC aired the first half hour of a 90-minute long Virginian, and this would have been Virginian's second-to-last season. It had uh, close to a uh, 10-year run 
and it ended uh, in March of 71. So this was the last year of the Virginian. And on ABC at 7.30 p.m. on Wednesdays, I should add, this is Wednesday night, ABC aired Nanny and the Professor. Don't think we're going to cover that. It's had enough episodes. But I think the big things that we need to take out of Nanny and the Professor, one, Juliet Mills, but also two, how about this? And we talked about this person way, way, way back. I mean, we're talking probably four years ago at this point. Somebody that started in Nanny and the Professor, Kim Richards from Hello, Larry. Hello, Larry. Obviously, Hello, Larry. Obviously, as I just said, Nanny and the Professor. But also, I can't believe I'm acknowledging this. She was on The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. I was trying desperately to avoid that. I'm going to mention it because Kim Richards and her sister Kyle, they're half of one of my favorite memes of all time with Smudge Cat and the vegetables. But, but Kim wasn't in that. It was Kyle. I thought she was holding back. No. Well, still, Kim Richards is Kyle Richards' sister, and I'm going to talk about Smudge Cat anytime I want because Smudge is the greatest meme in the world. Even though the original clip does not involve a cat at all. No, it doesn't involve a cat at all, but it's still priceless. But where can we see Where's Huddles now? Oh, I can tell you where you can see Where's Huddles. First, some intrepid user has uploaded all the episodes to YouTube, so obviously there is some obvious dubious legality there. And also, as I mentioned earlier, the pilot, what was shown to CBS, is on YouTube as well. Not in great quality, but I think at this point, if you're looking just to see it, you can disregard the quality. It's more of a relic of the past. But also, where else can you get it? Boom. I have in front of me the DVD. This is where I saw it. I actually paid hard-earned money for this because, sort of like Greg, I do not care about money. You can buy this right now on Amazon for $18.99. That's a buck ninety an episode. Hey, you better hurry up. There's only 14 in stock, and I'm going to watch the meter here. I'm going to look at this little countdown thing, and I want to see if anybody buys in the next couple of days. Is this going to be a new part of the show, the Where's Huddles countdown? I would say it's more of a social experiment than anything else. I want to see if our listeners are tempted to buy something on Amazon because Dear Me says, hey, you can buy this legally on Amazon for $18.99. And I just want to see if anybody purchases it, if it goes down below 14 left in stock, I'll be happy if it goes to 13. If it gets to single digits, <laughs> pat myself on the back. I did something right. Too bad I'm not getting any money for this little advertisement. Oh, the good old Barry Harwood's pat on the back. There you go. And also, if you don't like money, but also don't like physical media, it is available to stream on Prime Video for roughly the same amount of money. Oh, good. You know what's not available to stream on Prime Video? What's that? The Mash Game Hollywood Squares Hour, of course. Oh, 
Let's play the music. It's time for This Weekend Match Game, Hollywood Square, Our History. We are now in the first full week of February 1984, week 15, and we've got a lineup this week. I'm glad Chico's here because I mentioned last week there's at least one panelist I'm sure he has things to say about. And I think Greg's going to have things to say about at least one panelist. And I might even have something to say about at least one panelist. We have Helen Reddy at Sajak, Larry Minetti, Marsha Wallace, Charles Nelson Riley, Tim Reed, Sally Julian, and Bruce Baum. Uh, Sally Julian. Sally. I knew. Hold on. Hold on. That's who I knew you were going to talk about. So please spill your guts. All I could say is Sally Julian, uh, 1983, beginning of the year, she was the original Summer Bartholomew on sale of the century. And all I could say is thank God Summer Bartholomew came when she did. I'm going to tell you guys go listen to Mark Summers' podcast, Mark Summers Unwraps. The most recent episode, at least as of the time we're recording, he talks to Richard Kind. You know who he is. He's on Spin City. And in recent years, he was spokesperson for Encore, which Al Molinaro, if you remember him from Happy Days, he used to do the Encore ads back in like the 80s and early 90s. You know who Richard Kind is. Trust me on this. But mentioned on that episode, of all things, was Sally Julian. And really, what was Sally Julian doing on Sale of the Century? They actually had her as, I don't want to say comic relief, but they wanted her to have like a comic influence as a model. And obviously, 13 weeks, maybe the powers that be said, yeah, we're not going to go in this direction with like a comic-ish sort of model who sort of wisecracks about some of the products or whatnot. We're going to go in a more straightforward direction with a spokesperson, a spokesmodel, going for the Lee Menning or the Summer Bartholomew types. It is an interesting story. And like I said, it's on the most recent episode of Mark Summer's podcast. Go listen to it. Very good listen. Bet you didn't know that about Sally Julian Chico. I was today years old when I learned that about Sally Julian. Not a lot happened this week in terms of gameplay, in terms of goofy stuff, but Tuesday episode did not air on Buzzer. We do know that there was not a big money win that week. However, on Monday that week, there was a $10,000 win with Larry Minetti. On Wednesday of that week with Marsha Wallace, a $5,000 win. On Thursday of that week, Helen Reddy was part of a $1,000 win hundred dollars times the 10 and twenty thousand dollars tim reed on the friday episode so four wins on five episodes this week next week we talked about sort of old hollywood in this episode we're going to talk maybe not necessarily old hollywood but we're going to talk about somebody who was really popular in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s 80s his health really started declining 
I think maybe his mental faculties were starting to go as well at that time. But a pretty big name among the panel next week. We'll talk about that on next Monday's episode. Let's close up the shop, boys. It's the Huddles household with Ed, Marge, and baby Pom-Pom. On the field, exciting action kicks off when the star quarterback of the Rhinos scores another touchdown on Where's Huddles? Premiering Wednesday night on CBS. Minisode 30, submission number 2485, Catching Kelsey. Catching Kelsey aired on E! Entertainment Television from October 5th to November 16th of 2016 for seven episodes. I think he had more catches than seven last week. Yeah, he had like 11. He caught everything last week. I think he had 10 in the first half. Oh, yeah, that doesn't get to how many crock blocks that is. That's nine less episodes than your standard crock block. But I thought I would just point out Travis Kelsey had more catches in the AFC Championship game than there were episodes of this TV show. Now, hang on. From now on, every time we have a show that's seven episodes, we can refer to it as a Catching Kelsey block. No. I'm putting my fake foot down this time. No. You see, I didn't feel a thing because it's a fake foot. I can make that joke because, well, y'all have two legs and I don't. I would make a Carrie Von Eric joke here, but I'm a serious podcast journalist, so I won't. Oh, Lord. Really? So anyhow, what about catching Kelsey? Travis Michael Kelsey was born October 5th, 1989 in Westlake, Ohio. The father of sales representative in the steel industry, Ed Kelsey, and the mother of former bank executive, Donna Kelsey. His older brother, Jason also plays football, but this show is not about him. In his 10-plus-year career, he has amassed 907 receptions out of 1,265 targets for 11,328 yards, 74 touchdowns, and one very famous girlfriend. But before that, in 2016... He was just looking to find some love. And of course, if you are famous and you're looking to find some love and you just run out of ideas, where do you go? Television. Just ask Flavor Flav. Or Ryan Lochte. Tight ends looking for love, guys. Anywho, I believe he's played his entire career with the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, because he was drafted in 2013, so it's been over 10 years so obviously looking for somebody maybe local possibly i don't know but in any event the cameras of nbc universal went out to arrowhead stadium to help travis kelsey find the missing piece of his puzzle and this is perhaps the most ambitious of the bachelor clones ever to come out in the last 20 years because we start with 50 women representing all 50 states. I don't know if that makes any sense or not, but there you go. Ultimately, it ended with two people, 
Maya Benberry, and Veronica Harwood. Travis told Maya that he loves her confidence, but at times it got overconfident. It kind of showed arrogance. He's been attracted to women like that his entire life, and those relationships didn't work out because of that. He doesn't want that anymore. He says, now I'm quoting, I feel like I came into this idea, this experience, this show, because I needed that change in my life. And Veronica is that change. But even though my mind is telling me one thing, I gotta go with my heart. So ultimately, he went with Maya over Veronica. But the question I'm asking myself with this is, how did we get here in the first place? It all started, like I said before, with 50 different women from 50 of the United States. Sorry, D.C. Sorry, Puerto Rico. And it was your typical dating show, reality show, aplomb. I mean, there was absolutely nothing wrong with it, but at the same time, there was absolutely nothing right with it. Catching Kelsey has all of your reality earmarks that were neither good nor bad. We have, and this is from an article from Salon.com, a born-again virgin who at one point refers to herself as a severe Christian, people who are there looking for their best friend, a country performance by an artist, but there's no way they've ever heard a single one of their songs, a delusional girl from Connecticut, and an obligatory conversation about how taking care of your athlete husband is the most important job in the world with a woman who is lucky enough to have landed one herself. And at one point, Travis Kelsey and a contestant dive into a fountain walking home from a date. And then there's him apparently sleeping with three of the 50 contestants. And also, if the uh, Google episode guide is to be believed, a contestant with a very shady past. No. On a reality show? The hell you say? It wasn't just Travis Kelsey, the only star on this show. There were episodes featuring LMFAO and Jesse James Decker at the Roxy. Ooh, was Eric there? I'm guessing that that was the girl that uh, Travis talks to about taking care of your uh, athlete husband. Yeah, Jesse James Decker is married to former Broncos and Jets wide receiver Eric Decker. And it all culminates in the final episode where Travis takes his final four girls on a yacht to relax on their last group date and then leaves one of them there, bringing the final three on a private jet to Kansas City where he will whittle the three women down to one. And of course, we know that one woman, Maya Benberry, that was his forever teammate. When did this show end again? November 2016. Yeah, they were done so in a month. Oh, that's a shame. 
So here, annotated, thanks to Salon.com, I'm not going to go through all of the reasons that you need to know about this show, just the important ones. First of all, we mentioned that Maya Benberry and Travis Kelsey were over in a month. Maya Benberry swears that Travis was cheating on her. He told TMZ that wasn't true. Travis Kelsey, not afraid to pick villains, especially if it makes good television. He's close with his brother, Jason. That's obvious. He calls himself a goober twice. The women call him daddy. What? Daddy. Multiple women call him daddy. Now, Mike, would you call Travis Kelsey your daddy? I want to really know if Taylor Swift calls him her daddy. Oh, God, I need an adult. I think we all do after that revelation. One of the first contestants Travis sent home was a pageant queen who he felt gave two perfect and polished answers. He also quickly sent home one of the most attractive women because he felt like she was too used to having men chase her. So we can safely assume he wasn't very into women who play hard to get, which is good because he's not too interested in pageant girls. And finally, he is very comfortable in the spotlight, which serves him well because, well, look what he's going to do on Sunday. He is going to be on the receiving end of every pass that Patrick Mahomes does not throw to Isaiah Pacheco. Well, remember, at the time this series aired, Alex Smith was the Kansas City quarterback. Watch it for yourself. Form your own opinion. All of the episodes are available to stream right now on Peacock. That's right. So, Mike, now that you... Have you gotten Peacock now officially? No, I haven't. Well, you need to do it. Come on. Okay, listen. You don't handle my budget, and just in the last week, week and a half, I had to pay my real estate taxes, and those real estate taxes came out to almost $3,000. So, excuse me if I'm not buying Peacock because I really enjoy you know, not getting like a, a big tax bill or going to court because I didn't pay my taxes. Well, you're going to be missing seven episodes great this year from Catching Elsie. I'm more concerned about missing all the episodes of Ted. So what did the peanut gallery have to say about this show? Well, Miles Clee from Rolling Stone says that it was a fun show with a truly twisted concept, making a bunch of horny moms. Oh, wait, no. I'm, th- I'm talking about Milk Manor again. Sorry. Oh, what? No, this is staying in. What uh, the heck? Wait, what the heck is MILF Manor? Is that the one that's on TLC? Yes. <laughs> but that is a future entry, by the way. Let me just say this. It's no F-Boy Island on the CW. Have you heard about F-Boy Island? I've heard of F-Boy Island. I've heard of MILF Manor. I'm just wondering how Chico got the two of these confused. 
Anyway, he says, Catch and Kelsey didn't overpromise on the happily ever after, and that, along with the general absence of the laborious cliches and exaggerated emotional beats that drag out your average matchmaking series, is a source of its appeal. The prize here was a minimum of a couple months of a relationship with a handsome pro athlete who had recently signed a $46 million contract extension. No need to present it as anything more. Still in all, it's a reality show about an athlete. A fairly goofy athlete on a fairly goofy premise. If you like sports, good for you. If you like dating shows, good for you. He seemed to like both, so they greenlit the series. But after the season, well, there was no postseason celebration for catching Kelsey. Oh, but there is a bit of a legacy. Travis Kelsey was host of SNL, and he did bring it up in his monologue. But there would be a happily ever after, at least at the time of this recording, because Travis Kelsey is playing in the big game on Sunday, and his girlfriend is slated to be in the VIP box watching him. Not Maya, not her, his current girlfriend. Who would that be? One Taylor Allison Swift. Oh, what does she do? She is a fairly good singer. Oh, okay. I need to hear from that. Uh, excuse me, correction. She's a media whore. For the record, he said it, not me. I would never say a bad thing about Taylor Swift. I have as much respect as anyone for Taylor Swift and her vast, vast, vast army of fans, many of whom I hope are listening and will follow us on all social media at It Was a Thing on TV or on Facebook at It Was a Thing on TV podcast. Okay. Also, uh, MILF Manor is on Max. So I think I found what I'm watching tonight. Oh, good. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even properly end it. I just threw in the social plug. All right, probably end it right now. All right, well, that's going to do it for this mini-sode. We still have another episode later this week, and believe it or not, we still have another mini-sode later this week, and it's all leading up to that big special event on Sunday on CBS Paramount and Nickelodeon. Yes. And we're going to be watching it. The world's going to be watching it. Everybody's going to be watching it. It's going to be awesome. Wow! Coming up on the season finale of Milf Island, Holy Hot Mamas. But who will be the final mommy you'd like to Oh, you know. I came here to be number one. Coming up next here on NBC. Oh, f- I need to get my heart medication. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Episode 452. Submission 2031. The commercials of Super Bowl 34. Well, guys, we're getting set because Super Bowl 58 is coming up. We got Kansas City and San Francisco, a rematch of four years ago. But this time, we got Barack Purdy as the quarterback for the 49ers, while Patrick Mahomes is going for his third Super Bowl title in five years. But before that, 
in the year 2000. We had Kurt Warner come out of nowhere to lead the St. Louis Rams to their first Super Bowl in 20 years to take on a team that didn't exist in the city they were playing in and had a different name like three years before. The Tennessee Titans, who made it to the Super Bowl on one of the most amazing plays in NFL history, the Music City Miracle in the wild card round against Buffalo, thrown by, and I can't believe I'm saying this now, the late, great Frank Wycheck. Yeah, just passed away like three months ago. Yeah. And he passed away, of all things, from a fall at home. And he was only like 52. He was a very young guy. But this Super Bowl was probably like one of the most exciting Super Bowls of all time. The Rams, I think, had like a 16-0 lead. The Titans came all the way back to tie the game in the fourth quarter. And then the last two minutes of the game, I think he had three of the most amazing plays in Super Bowl history. First was the bomb Kurt Warner threw to Isaac Bruce to give the Rams the lead. The second was Steve McNair escaping a sack, and I don't know how he got around them, but he threw a perfect pass to Wycheck to put them in position in the red zone to tie the game. And then the last play of the game, never forget this, Kevin Dyson trying to score and Mike Jones of the Rams tackles him at the one. And there's the iconic image of Kevin Dyson trying to stretch his arm out to have the ball cross the plane. But the time runs out and the Rams win the Super Bowl, giving Dick Vermeil his Super Bowl title. A move that would forever be known as either the tackle or one yard short depending on where you live in either St. Louis or Tennessee. But that's not why we're here. We're here to talk about commercials. Because, yeah, we love talking about commercials here. And in 2000, this Super Bowl would be infamous because there was one thing that everyone was making money on in 2000. Dot com. Yep, this was the dot-com bowl. Mike, do you remember this magical time in the year 2000 of dot-coms? Do I ever? I think I remember it more for who didn't make it to 2001 more than anything else because that bubble burst and it burst hard. So we had tons of companies trying to spend money left and right for this game. So we're going to go through a bunch of commercials. We're not going to go through all these. And also there's two ads that we don't want to touch on because they're pretty powerful in their own right. I'm talking about the WebMD ad for Muhammad Ali and the Nuveen ad for Christopher Reeve. So we're not going to touch those ads. And of course, as I mentioned, not going to touch every ad in this Super Bowl. But if you can find them, you can go to Adeline. TV. They have a bunch of ads for every Super Bowl and all the commercials from Super Bowl 34. Pretty much almost every one of them is on that site if you want to view the rest of them. And of course, all the other links from 
the game that we're covering here will be included in the Podbean description on our page at itwasathingontv.com. So the first commercial I'm going to play is a commercial for Microsoft. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be boarding first class passengers first. Following that, we'll be boarding by row, starting with seats 45 through 30. When absolutely everyone else is already comfortably settled on the plane, then, and only then, will we be allowing those passengers who run companies but still haven't figured out an e-business strategy to board the plane. Once again, flight one... Anxious about e-business? Don't be. Get the software, services, and partners that make it easier. The business internet starts with Microsoft. Well, that's a good place to start. You're talking about a dot-com surge in 2000. Why not start with basically what you need to use in order to take advantage of those dot-coms, a computer. You got Windows or you got Macintosh. Let's start with Microsoft. Let's go with Windows first. I don't even think there would have been a Macintosh commercial at this point because their stock was so low. It was the next year, 2001, when they had the iPod and the rest is history, if you think about it, is iPod, iPhone, iPad, and their stock price has just, like, climbed and climbed and climbed ever since. Well, the iMac would have just come out, and this is the beginning of Steve Jobs returning to Apple. So they're starting to get on the path again. So This is the second Steve Jobs era. Yeah. Yeah, this is the one after he originally lost all his money. And even the iMac, I'm going to admit it. It was nice, but it wasn't terribly convenient. We had one where I worked at that point. But yeah, that's another story for another day. All right, we got a commercial for GMC Trucks. What creates professional-grade agility? A wider stance for improved handling. Bigger brakes for driver confidence. And a new suspension for a better ride. A world of innovations plus one new name. The GMC Suburban is now the all-new surprisingly agile Yukon XL. GMC, do one thing, do it well. This was like the era of like SUVs, right? Yeah. So obviously people needed like big trucks. Okay. Well, I got a question. If I was to buy, let's say, a Disney clamshell VHS, who would be the perfect person to sell me on buying one? Disney? No, but he's dead. I'm out of ideas. Well, think about it. It's the year 2000. What person is so hot with his own video game right now? Maybe a certain pro skater. Oh, oh, that guy. Yeah, Tony Hawk is a pro skater. So why is he selling me a Disney clamshell VHS? Well, let's see.
same cloth like Tarzan? Tarzan, bring it home this Tuesday. And it was also available on Disney DVD, which would have fit ever so easily in his pocket. Now, Mike, have you ever tried to stuff a Disney clamshell VHS in your pocket? Not in my pocket. I'm sorry. I'm a little more confused and scared by the kids saying, Dad, can you do that in a loincloth? What kid would say that? He really loved Tarzan. Still, have any of us ever said, hey, Dad, can you strip down to some really small pairs of underwear for me? No. No. There's laws against that. Hold on. Is the whammy here? Why are you going to drag me into this conversation about loincloths? Well, you once played Tarzan in the sketch on Quest Your Luck. Good point. Did anyone ever tell you? Does Tammy ever come to you to say, hey, Whammy, do you want to wear a loincloth tonight while we're role-playing in bed? Ew. I don't need a loincloth. I show all of this to Tammy all the time, baby. Right there. I'm ah. an adult. I think oh. we all do at this point. Oh, my God. You're the one who asked the question. Well, I have a question. Why do we all love a certain mouse? Well, who do you get to answer that question? Oh. Spock and a certain center on the Los Angeles Lakers. His fans have always had such a fascination with his ears. They always make such a big thing about his ears. I would get tired of that, personally. Yeah! He is the best entertainer in the world. Very energetic, very enthusiastic. I'm just trying to follow his footsteps. Little itty bitty footsteps. He told me this shot right here, the over the head between the ear shot, like that. Oh, well, that's making Shaq to the fool. Fun fact, that is the closest Shaq ever got to making a legitimate jump shot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what do you have to do when you're like young, a professional athlete? Sadly, you have to hang it up. Well, Charles Schwab is going to tell us what happens. We're tied in double overtime. Net one, Pearl two. Bingo! Mr. Barkley wins again. These days, it's never too early to think about retirement. Maybe that's why so many people go to Schwab.com. In a few steps, you can open a Roth, a traditional IRA, or a rollover, invest in a range of funds, and plan for the future. Because retirement... You got the upper. ...comes sooner than you think. Okay, can we describe who was in this head? We had Charles Barkley, Tara Lipinski, Wade Boggs, Barry Sanders, I think. Yes. Evander Holyfield... 
all of them having retired within the last five years as of this ad airing. And it ends with Chuck Barkley getting a new roommate, Mike Ditka. And his caption, retired Thursday. Which would have just happened because he would have been fired from the Saints. Oh, yeah, the whole Ricky Williams thing. Yeah, not that Ricky Williams thing, the other Ricky Williams thing. Well, I'm talking about that whole trade, yeah, where he traded essentially the whole draft in 1999 for Ricky Williams. Nowadays, that would be called pulling a Scott Bitterer, trading your entire draft stock for one star player who turns out to be. Yeah, pretty much. Well, what do the kids love in 2000? They love TRL. They love Carson Daly. You know what they also love? Pizza. And what do you do to combine those things? You can put them in a .com ad for cdnow.com. You remember cdnow.com? I remember cdnow.com. Do you remember it- cdnow.com, Mike? I've never even heard of that. What is that? It was a website that kind of made you like get like mix CDs. Like you could sample songs before you buy them and you could put them like on a CD. Like if you like the song, you could just put it on a CD. Like your own mix CD, but you buy it with the songs you want. It was the 1999-2000 version of iTunes, but with a CD. Okay. I believe you. I don't know what the heck it is, but yeah. Okay. Remember when you had your CDRW and this would be two years after the era of CD. Now you'd have your CDR and you put it in and you rip all of your MP3s off of your CDs and put it on a standalone disc that you can just listen to wherever, or at least that's what I did. I installed a CDRW onto my paranoia e-monster. Mike knows what I'm talking about. So yeah, that's what I did, and it pretty much eliminated the uh, the need for CD now. In fact, okay, so this ad that's coming aired in 2000. In the 13 years since, it was acquired by BMG, then acquired by Amazon, and was effectively shut down. Oh, Well, let's hear Carson Daly in this weird hybrid for CD now, Pizza Hut. Hey, what's up? Carson Daly here at a Pizza Hut parking lot talking free CDs. This is awesome. We've been camped out here for three days. Okay, here's the deal. You buy the Big New Yorker pizza for $9.99. Then you get a personal access code. You go online to cdnow.com, personalize your own free CD, choose six songs from their selection of over 200 hits, and they even mail it to you for free. Woo! So what's going to be on your CD? I want some stuff that expresses my youthful rage. Rap. Alternative. Yeah, I've got a Big New Yorker pizza for Jim. Great. This is this for Jim. Great. Who's paying for this? Man, the big New Yorker pizza. You remember that? I can't say I do, but I don't eat pizza at all that often. This is a Domino's house, good sir. What does Pizza Hut think they're doing trying to sell this crap? This GLCDnow.com. Hey, big New York pizza. Everyone knows you don't get real New York pizza from Pizza Hut. Hey. Fun fact, CD Now is supposed to merge with Columbia House. 
It never happened. Oh. All right, now we have this ad for Budweiser. Fred is great. He always wants to play. Just look at him go. He's got so much energy, but he sure can work up quite a thirst. That's why I give him Budweiser. It's made with only the choicest hops and barley, and it's got a clean, crisp taste that he loves. I wouldn't give him anything less. Okay, so this is going to be completely lost in the audio, but you think that it's the human that's talking. No, it's the dog that's talking. And let's be honest, talking dogs are never not funny. Mike, do you agree that talking dogs are hilarious? Generally. I don't have any examples to prove me wrong, but generally. I mean, we all love Mr. Smith. That's a good talking animal. Now we got another dot com ad for monster.com. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And sorry, I could not travel both. And be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could. And both that morning equally lay in leaves. No step had trod in black. Two roads diverged in a wood. And I? And I. I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. Monster.com for work, life, possibilities. Culture. Robert Frost up in here. You know what I loved at the end of the ad? It gave the AOL keyword. Yeah, AOL keywords, they're still around, but who uses them? Monster.com, they're still around. They are still used. Okay, our next ad is for Motorola. Innovative new Motorola Time Port. Access to vital information on the internet, wherever you are. Okay, can we describe this for the audio listeners for what we just saw? Okay, so we saw this man who's in a tree. And here comes a rope snake, right? Crawling up his pant leg, he's reaching for his Motorola phone, which in 2000 looks like a Nokia mini brick phone. And then he's looking up. He's using the internet to look up deadly snakes. Rope snake? Non-venomous. All of a sudden, he looks up constrictor because he's thinking to himself well I think the snake is uh, kind of sort of reaching for something something like that well guys what can we have to look forward to halftime well 
this 10 second commercial and I can't even explain what this is. Oh, Johnny. Yes, my butter kiss. The E-Trade Halftime Show is coming up. I know, I know. Stay tuned for the E-Trade Super Bowl 34 Halftime Show. Um, We saw like a guy, I guess, take toe fungus out of an old woman. Nah, he's giving her a sensual foot massage. Oh. Why would you do that when the Super Bowl is on? Well, it's E-Trade's money, not mine, I guess. Next, we got an ad for Bug Light. Good evening, folks. Hold the door, hold the door. Okay, hold, hold that elevator. Hold the door. One more, one more. Oh, hey, hey, open the door. Can somebody get that, please? People, somebody press the button. Frank, come on, I can see you in there. Please open the door. Peace. Hey, come on, we're reasonable people here. Frank, hey, That's my Bud Light. Come it on. is, Frank. For the great taste that won't fill you up and never lets you down. I can't shake them. Is this going on? Make it a Bud Light. That's a lawsuit waiting to happen. Also defies the laws of physics. You put your arm in an elevator. Bad things happen. If you put your hand in an elevator with the doors closed, you're going to have a bad time. Yeah. And if you put your whole self in an elevator, you're really going to have a bad time. Isn't that right, Miss Moldar? I really don't want to talk about it. Ah! Oh my god! I love we found a way for Diana Moldor. <laughs> well, you know what? It's a good thing that we didn't get the 2001 Super Bowl between the Ravens and the Giants, because I would rather be watching a Pulaski episode <laughs> than that. Okay, our next ad is for micro strategy. MicroStrategy software is creating a new generation of one-to-one e-business. Where's that idiot stockbroker? No, I, do, I don't want his voicemail. E-business solutions through web wireless and voice. Oh, nothing. Just another merger. MicroStrategy, the power of intelligent e-business. Hey, so MicroStrategy is still around. However, in 2020, they didn't do an intelligent move. They invested a quarter of a billion dollars in Bitcoin as a treasury reserve asset, citing declining returns from cash, a weakening dollar, and other global macroeconomic factors. Oh, that's terrific. Three years later... They announced during the period between that August and that September, MicroStrategy, together with its subsidiaries, acquired approximately 5,445 bitcoins for approximately $147.3 million in cash with an average price of approximately $27,000 per bitcoin. So they lost out on their investment to the tune of $100 million. Bitcoin is bad, people. 
All right. We got an ad for Budweiser. dog is supposed to cry. So let's do one more. Are you finished? Rex, you're supposed to cry. Think back to your worst day. That's your motivation. 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 Heartbreaking. That dog really fought back to the time it was chasing a Budweiser truck because I guess the dog wants to get drunk and it hit it. It's the car. Its head was like, what, what happened? He jumped and there was like a car parked and he hit into the parked car. Very sad. But the director got the motivation for his scene. And that's the important part. This next ad is for Net Clients. Do you have anything on Net Clients, Chico? Net Clients? Net Clients. Like net... compliance, but Net Oh, uh, Net Clients. Yeah, well, they operated a low-cost internet appliance called the iOpener between 1999 and 2002. And the thing of it is, you could buy a net appliance or an eye opener for a hundred bucks. It was popular with uh, computer hobbyists who modified it to run desktop PC software without the internet service. So if you wanted a cheap computer or a cheap internet alternative, there you go. But in 2002, according to CNET, they quit the business cut 93 jobs, and morphed into an infrastructure and managed services company, whatever that is. Well, let's see this commercial. What if every last one of us could access the internet and email without using a computer? Well, then every last one of us could be a webhead. Introducing the eye opener, the simple way to access the internet and email from a company called NetClients. I love how it said a company called NetClients at the end. That really grabs you. They weren't that far off, you know. I mean, people nowadays can access the internet via something other than a computer. Yes. In fact, you're probably listening to us on one of those newfangled devices right now. But you know what I loved about that ad? Seeing the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders with those stereotypical nerd glasses. The horn rims with the bandages in the middle? Yep. Nice. 
Okay, our next commercial is from 7-Up. Now, guys, do you remember the Orlando Jones make 7-Up yours ads? I remember the ones where he's wearing the shirt that says, Make 7, and on the back, up yours. I also remember that when I was in college during this time, somebody had a parody shirt that said, Up yours on front. And up yours in the back. Mike, do you remember those commercials? Oh, do I remember them? Yes. Well, let's see what 7-Up had cooked up for this Super Bowl before Orlando Jones. I'm always coming up with great new promotions for 7-Up. Like this one. I ask people to send me pictures of their cans. Let's take a look. Oh! <laughs> Look like two big Christmas hams. <laughs> you you can. Look at the backyard on this fella. That about ends the uh, first annual 7-Up Show Us Your Can contest. Next time I'll be more specific. Mom? <laughs> I remember that from back in the day. So do I. Still great almost a quarter century later. Oh, he should have been more specific of that. Well, let's go to Volvo for this next commercial. Hold on, hold on. I was going to add before you start that, thank heavens they don't do that commercial nowadays because God only knows what cans would be shown in 2024. <laughs> Good thing that commercial wasn't around. During the George W. Bush era for Super Bowl 38, because there was more than enough problems for that Super Bowl. Had nothing to do with cans, though. No, those were jugs. (laughs) Good night, everybody. Yeah, you got it. All right, let's go to Volvo and see what they had cooked up for this Super Bowl. Name's Gus. Here's what 30 years on the road's taught me talk is cheap. Haircut shouldn't cost more than your hat. And always run the best truck you can. This truck sure has made a difference, but success hasn't spoiled me. I still put my pants on one leg at a time. Your toothpick, sir? How many truck drivers do you now have like their own chauffeur? That's sort of why I gave the shoulder shrug there. I don't know how to react to that. All right. Well, guys, in the year 2000 was the premiere of the Oxygen Cable Network. Now, Mike, I think you told us some stories about watching Oxygen at the time. Well, Oxygen, if you remember when it started, it was like the original Oprah Network. And uh, I just mentioned that uh, Sue Johansson, we talked about her in the year in review episode. She passed away last year. She had a talk show on Sunday nights. It was like around either 11 or midnight for an hour. And that got me through many sleepless nights back in like 2005, 2006, 2007-ish. Because she was just so hilarious. But yeah, it was like 
not really own network. It was a little bit different, but yeah, it was a thing back in 2000, Oxygen. Okay, here we go. This commercial for the brand new Oxygen Network in 2000 was called I'm a Girl. what's next yeah it started out as the uh alternative to lifetime founded by oprah and geraldine Layborn. nowadays under comcast ownership it's basically the alternative to court tv can you just describe to the audio listeners the ad Okay, so we have a bouncing baby girl born February 2nd, 2000, one day after Oxygen launched, blows her little baby girl cap on the ground. The next day, throws it on the ground, nurse picks it up, puts it back on the head. Next day, baby throws it on the ground, and now all of a sudden, all the girls in the nursery are throwing their little baby toboggans on the ground. And we have the one who started it all raise her little baby fist in defiance. Damn straight. Okay, our next ad is for a wedding invitation site called AuraBeginning.com. Chico, do you have any information about AuraBeginning.com? I do. AuraBeginning.com was purchased two years after this ad by an undisclosed company. And do you know what that site now leads to? If you type A daycare in, or- in Seattle. A daycare in Seattle. So this must be a real winner. Let's see what this ad for orabeginning.com. You said you had a large selection of invitations. But we do. Then why does she have my invitation? <laughs> What may be a little thing to sell? You're mine, little man! Could be a really big deal to you. Is that your wife? Uh, not for another 15 minutes. After all, oh, it's your you special day. Allbeginning.com. Life's an event. Announce it to the world. That was something. All of that for wedding invites. Because that's basically what ourbeginning.com was. It was... Basically, Shutterfly, before Shutterfly was Shutterfly, and all it sold were wedding invites or birth announcements or just stationery in general. Yeah, there's a reason why that site's now a nursery in Seattle, all places. Chico, this next ad is for FedEx. It's the Wizard of Oz FedEx commercial, and I think you know this ad has a lot of controversy. So, alright, I'll play it right here. We represent the Lollipop Guild! The Lollipop Guild! The Lollipop Guild! 
voices. This is not good. probably preface this by saying under no circumstances should you inhale helium yeah that was the big controversy with this ad and why it got pulled because people were like upset that it promoted that all right guys now we're nearing the last three first it's the big one pets.com guys I think we all remember Pets.com at this time. They were the big thing in internet pet retailers. They had the big ad with the sock puppet with Michael Ian Black as the voice of the sock puppet. Okay, Dino. I gotta go to a lot of stores to get what you like. I'll be back. If you leave me now, you'll take away the biggest part of me. Well, they were the big name at the time. Nowadays, they're just part of PetSmart. Now we have a commercial for LifeMinders.com. Now, let me just say this. This commercial... Mike has a, probably a lot in common with a show we covered last week because this commercial was very cheap. So here we go. Lifeminders.com. Okay, so this is going to get lost in translation with the article. So let me just read it, because there's just typewriter face on this ad with a yellow background. So let me read it. This is the worst commercial on the Super Bowl. But it might be the best thing you see tonight. Introducing LifeMinders.com. We said highly personalized emails on topics you ask for. Free. No junk. How can we do all this for over 7.5 million members? We're information experts. Geeks. But we don't know diddly about making ads. www.lifeminders.com Ironically, they said no junk. They were bought out by cross-media marketing who specializes in junk mail. Oh. That's bad. But also, very hilarious. Okay, guys, 
now we're at the main event. We're at a commercial for E-Trade. And let me be honest, this was my introduction to E-Trade. And you know what? It was so memorable. The company is still around today as part of Morgan Stanley. So how do you get people to know your product while wasting a whole lot of money? This greatness in 30 seconds. It's time for E-Trade, the number one place to invest online. Yep, you just get a monkey to dance and say, well, we just wasted two million bucks. How are you spending your money? And I gotta say, when I saw that ad and I saw the dancing monkey, I laughed out loud. And I thought, that's the most hilarious thing I've ever seen in my life. And 24 years later, it's still hilarious. But, guys, what did this do for all these companies? Well, we know the result. A lot of these dot-com companies just came and went. And then one year later, the E-Trade monkey came back. For Super Bowl 35 to survey the best wasteland.coms. Where he encountered at the end of the ad the pets.com sock puppet lying on the ground. Oh no. It was so amazing. Oh. But you know what? In a couple of years, I guarantee you we'll be back here. And we'll be talking about all the hilarious, stupid crypto ads from Super Bowl 56. But you know what? In 2000, these commercials, they gave us an amazing thing on TV while wasting $2 million of money. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. But remember, you can always go to our website, itwasathingontv.com where you can listen to the 451 episodes that precede this one. And we've got all sorts of great bonuses there, including mini-sodes, live shows, extended versions of previous episodes. The whole works. Also remember, we are on all social media, including Instagram, Threads, and Mastodon, over It Was A Thing On TV, except for Facebook, where we are at It Was A Thing On TV Podcasts. And remember, if you want to follow us on Mastodon, search for us at It Was A Thing On TV at tvwatch.party. I remember the Friday on the bus episodes at Place Mediation Pop. We got this is day and date because we're releasing this on Friday. The drops on Friday. You won't be getting the next mini sode. We're gonna save that for next week in the drop, but don't worry, it'll be up there next Friday. So you'll be having your kick of destiny. We're gonna make fun of that. So you have to wait another week on Place Mediation. But I guarantee you'll be worth it. Remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever fine podcasts can be streamed. Either Apple Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, iHeart, Audible, Google Podcasts, while you still can, etc. 
And don't forget, we are on YouTube where you can like and subscribe to our channel. Don't forget to hit the notification bell on YouTube to be informed of all future uploads on our channel, including what's coming up on the podcast next time. Well, we mentioned the mini-sode coming up on Sunday, but we have a special bonus later on Sunday before the game. Now, if you remember four years ago, we did the Bud Bowl in episode 27 when Kansas City was playing San Francisco in the Super Bowl. So we fought for fun. We might give some of our newer listeners who weren't around with us back in 2020 a chance to listen to it. But I've added some bonus stuff to the episode that wasn't in the original episode that you're all going to enjoy. So that's coming up. Sometime around 4 or 5 on Super Bowl Sunday on our Podbean page. But coming up next week, starting on Tuesday, because we want to give you guys after Sunday some time to, you know, relax after the big game. But on Tuesday, Mike, we've been waiting for this episode for a long time. It's John Barber's son's favorite show, and I'm sure he can't wait to listen to it. What are we talking about, Mike, on Tuesday? Mike has his hand in his face. I can't can't answer this. I I seriously can't answer this. It's John Barber's son's favorite TV show in 1988. And his favorite character's on it. Shotty LaRue. Shotty LaRue. Yeah, we're talking about Frank's place. Perfect way to begin our coverage of Black History Month by talking about Shotty LaRue. But who also, is not black? Oh, wait, wait. Who is not black, by the way? That's the irony. But on Thursday's show, guys, this is great news for Stewie Griffin. They found a vehicle for Ellen Cleghorn. How long did it last? Well, not that long because we're talking about it. Ah, uh, I didn't think so. But you know what? It's one of those shows that has an exclamation point in the title. So you're thinking, oh, crap, I got to watch this show. Got an exclamation point. It's serious. Is that the reason why I watched Few? The exclamation point? No, you watched Few because you genuinely enjoy the works of Jay Wolpert. And honestly, who doesn't? Yeah, it's the exclamation point that matters. But you'll find out more about those topics as we start Black History Month coming up next week, right here at It Was a Thing on TV. For Mike, for Chico, I'm Greg. Enjoy Super Sunday, and we'll see you those episodes next week. Wow! You're watching Cinema Classics on PBS. Good evening, and welcome to Cinema Classics. I'm your host. Reese, the what? (laughs) Tonight, we take a closer look at the beloved 1939 film, The Wizard of Oz, and a recently discovered, never-before-seen alternative ending. Why did they film this ending? I do not know. This is not why I am here. I'm a bad guesser. Just ask my wife. She asked me to guess what she learned in her exercise class, and I said, acceptance? (laughs) Worst couple's balloon ride ever. Let's take a look now at the alternate ending in which Dorothy wakes up to find out that her adventures in Oz were all a dream. (laughs) 
Oh, wake up, Dorothy. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. Dorothy, dear, oh. it's Aunt Em. Oh, Auntie Em, it's you. Oh. You got quite the bump on the head. We thought we might lose you for a moment. Oh, oh but I did go. I left, and I, I tried to get back for days and days. Well, there, there. Oh. You just had a bad dream. Oh. Remember me, your old pal, Hunk? And what about me? You couldn't forget my face, could you? Oh, no. But it wasn't a dream, you see. It was a place. And you were there, and you were there, and you... And you were... You were a lion, a, a tin man, and a scarecrow. And what about me? Was I there? Will Pharaoh comes in as the doctor looking like one of the munchkins. Was... Was I in your dream? Dr. Pickens? Yes, Doctor. Thanks for coming to check on Dorothy. She seems fine. So, was I in your dream? I, I'm, tr I'm trying to remember. And what about us? Yeah. Yeah. Were we in the dream? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, everyone was there. Hey, where's breakfast, by the way? What, what, what was I in the dream? Was I a doctor there, too? Does it really matter what everybody was? What about me? Was I also a teacher? And was I a lawyer? Tell, uh, tell me what I was. Well, okay, well, actually, you were a mayor. Really? A mayor of where? New York? Chicago? Yeah, I'd love to move off the dream stuff, but if you're insisting it was Manchkin land. Munchkin land. So what were we, funny little weirdos? To make you laugh? Oh, no, no, not at all. What were we wearing? What? What were we wearing? Uh, whoa. Cut to Dorothy's dolls in the munchkin clothes. Oh, my God. So when you close your eyes, that's how you see us? As your little nightmare baby dolls? Oh, no. In your own small way. I wish that tornado had killed you. The doctor! Sorry, but I, I'm mad as hell. Me too! So mad! Okay, this is the exact dance you did in my dream. <laughs> That's pretty adorable. So we just dance for your amusement? Like fools? No, no, you danced on the grave of the lady I killed. That was your job as part of the Lollipop Guild. So we owned a lollipop factory? No, you just kind of held them and kissed them and rode them around like little horses. Oh, my God. So these lollipops were bigger than your head? Yes. Listen, it's more dignified than it sounds. The munchkins uh, were a noble race. Race? I can't help what I dream, you guys, okay? There were, there were all sorts of creatures there. Creatures? Yeah, like flying monkeys. So we're on the same level as an airborne chimp. I'm so sorry. I know this all sounds strange, but you were a very important part of the adventure. So we were with you the whole way? Well, no, I kind of pieced out to the woods with my dog, and I think I maybe saw one of you had hanged yourself. And what did you do about it? Uh, good night. Uh, let's get out of here. Your house is a dump, by the way.